Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about Mark I hope you enjoyed the uncomplicated happiness of that theme song, because that's about all you're going to get on that score for the rest of this episode. <laughs> Welcome to 190, episode 190 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship, joined as ever by Sarah D. Bunting. By one of the things you cannot change, Sarah <laughs> D. Bunting. And be- Hello! Because this is an episode that ends in zero, we are ranking something. And this week, we are ranking Sinead O'Connor's landmark album i do not want what i haven't got which was a huge deal in 1990 and is still i think quite relevant today it's some it's an album that still people still talk about so that's why we wanted to rank it and uh we want to remind you how rankings work around these parts if you've never heard one of our ranking episodes before so sarah how do we do what we do um, first of all, if you haven't heard one of our ranking episodes before, uh, A, welcome. B, boy, <laughs> do you have some back issues to get through um, while you're gardening, so enjoy. Um, here's how it works. Uh, each song gets a point value. We will talk about the songs in album order, and as we go along, we will rank them according to point value, so with 10 songs on the album. Our most favorite song will be number one with 10 points, number two will get nine points, all the way down to our least favorite song. Uh, We will combine our point assignments with the point assignments of our Patreon listeners who also voted on the album and voted on their favorite tracks. I um, had real difficulty with this this time um, more than usual I have this song in my bone marrow. I was introduced to it by my freshman year roommate, like the second day of freshman year of college. I have been living with it ever since. Things have evolved. Yeah. There were surprises. Yeah. But I will say like, there are going to be some um, kind of brutal sounding rankings kind of early on, but I don't hate any song on this album there are no i do though (laughs) oh okay neat but i will say like you sarah i so when this album came out i was 11 years old which was a little young to really grasp what sinead o'connor was doing i can so i mean 18 was too young too (laughs) also (laughs) i so clearly remember being in a youth theater production in chattanooga tennessee of the play treasure island in which nbd i was the star jim hawkins it's fine and like whatever, Derek McKinney, he was playing Long John Silver. He was my other leading actor. Like we both would have been up for the leading actor prize. But like Jim is the he's the protagonist. It's fine, doesn't matter. Um, but there was a guy who I had such a huge crush on, even though I was too young to understand what it was. But he was a senior and he had very curly hair and he had a very deep voice. And he teased me affectionately uh, because I was so into Vogue at the time because this was fall of 90. Uh, and he was like, well, you know, Sinead O'Connor is a better singer than Madonna. And I was like, no. And even when he signed my program, he was for the show. He was like, blah, blah, blah. P.S. Sinead sings better than Madonna. And I was like, no. And then I realized later, well, yes, Mark, of course she fucking does. And then 
throughout the course of I kind of want to find this person and have him on the show. I know, seriously. <laughs> hey, do you remember me? You don't? Okay. Anyway, let's revisit. Couple of episodes to start with. <laughs> Take care. Um but he um but so as I then evolved into being in middle school, I got so many mixed like there were so many Columbia House tapes that I would get that were like the best 90s hits, all the 90s, 90s, 90s. And like every single fucking one of those tapes had both Everybody Dance Now, Gonna Make You Sweat by CNC Music Factory that was always on the tape and nothing compares to you, always on the tape. So I then moved into realizing that that was a great song, but we'll get to that in a minute. And then it wasn't until I was in high school, like 10th, 11th grade, that I finally started to grasp how fucking great this whole album is. So it was like 95 before I was really ready for it. Uh, but but then I started going crazy for this album as well as other Sinead projects. Oh my God, there was another cute boy who really loved her song Fire on Babylon and we would crank it up in his car and I would be like, oh, you're so dreamy. Anyway, um, so how many, how many, if you were having a Mastis bingo card and you were like Mark and or Sarah talk about a boy <laughs> that they had a crush on earlier like you'd get that square in every episode anyway by the time that high school was over i was putting like every song on this album onto a mixtape including some songs that now that i've re-listened i thought why would i ever have thought this would be a good mixtape song but you know what i did it anyway that is all to say sarah that i have had many many years also of having i do not want what i haven't got wrapped around my medulla basically yeah and I, I think that our appreciation of um, Sinead as a cultural figure evolves alongside yes. our appreciation of these songs. And there are songs that like, I I revered them as a 17 or 18 year old. And I honor that reverence. Like that's still there when I'm hearing these songs. But there's also this appreciation um, as a middle-aged lady for what is happening in these songs that maybe she didn't even have because she wasn't that much older. No, she was like 22. Yeah. And you know, it's also impossible to hear this album, as you've just alluded to, without remembering now that Sinead O'Connor is one of the many popular female musicians who spoke her mind and was therefore punished by the culture. Yeah. I mean, Sinead, the Dixie Chicks, Fiona Apple, Madonna, like... It seems like any time I just and the fact that Sinead O'Connor was right about the Pope, by the way, yeah. when she ripped up his picture in protest of child abuse in the church and it just took the rest of the fucking world like 20 years to get there. It's just a reminder that any time a woman, especially a female artist, makes the entire culture really, really angry, she's probably doing something right. Like, yeah. If a woman is is making people furious because she's expressing herself then she's probably right, and we should probably listen to her more carefully because it, it's just astonishing the amount of misogyny and viciousness that was dumped on Sinead O'Connor because she chose to resist um, beauty standards. She chose to resist uh, the way that the Catholic Church was training people to treat women and children. And was Sinead O'Connor um, uh, occasionally uh, uh, doing the most? Was she extra? Absolutely. Oh yeah, no, she was totally extra, and also she was not like she was not emotionally equipped to be extra 
on the global stage. That's exactly right. She Madonna could handle it. Yes. Sinead, it was like we are we are watching the crash happen every day. And Sinead O'Connor has as recently as just a few weeks ago in that brilliant article that you sent me, it talked about her lifelong struggle with mental illness. So she is a brilliant, sensitive uh, artist with a lot of really exciting creative impulses and an unbelievable, undeniable talent for songwriting and for singing, who also, like you just said, probably wasn't ready and maybe never could have been ready for global attention. But now that she's in her 50s, seems to have like somewhat in a little bit of way worked it out. But when she was 23, it's just like what happened with Fiona Apple. Like Fiona Apple has become a hermit in response and largely to what happened to her. It's like, and yeah. good for you do what you have to do to survive. But like, I'm glad that they didn't get destroyed the way that some people have been, but you're right. Like Sinead was not up for as I don't think I would be up for the intense, hateful scrutiny that she received for having the audacity to speak her mind. Yeah. Well, and the culture was already halfway to deciding that they would ignore her because she didn't have any hair. Yes. And she's like, you know, she's, and she's the type of person who, when she's speaking what's on her mind, she invites the misogynistic response of you're shrill and a bitch. So shut up. And it's like, and she's got too much talent and too much, insight to be ignored even though she has also made a lot of rather exhausting choices i think she's had 41 different religions she's been ordained as a minister in 18 of them i mean there's some sometimes the 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 mostness is exhausting but it's like i also have so much um sympathy for her and i'm willing to cut her a lot of slack because of what happened to her but it's also like i don't know that i necessarily need to like hang out with shanae well yeah like i don't i don't think we're um qualified by the state yeah. to, to do that in the same we are not Sinead caregivers exactly by law. I, I in the same way that i don't know i necessarily need to chillax with fiona or whatever like i'm really glad that their music exists and uh i i think that uh the the fact that they've born so much and that Sinead o'connor specifically has born what she's born it, it is um it's it's remarkable that she's still around and she's still making good music. This is not her only excellent album. In fact, I would say that she's made a minimum of four excellent albums. The others being Lion and the Cobra, Faith and Courage, and Why Don't You I Be Me and You Be You. But that's neither here nor there. What we're really here to talk about today, Sarah, is I do not want what I haven't got. And you'd think with all of that lead up that we would have a clip from the very first song, which is called Feel So Different, but we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. Um this was the perfect melodramatic opener for a freshman in college who both thought she knew everything and was realizing that she didn't. Um, and the lyrics to this, um, I think a lot of people have the experience that like around the middle of freshman year, you realize that the people that you grabbed onto at the beginning needed to be let go and you had to start over. Oh God, Sarah. Yes. Sense. Yes. So, Listening to this with my roommate, who we were becoming extremely close at that time, but in the beginning, she was this like, um, she was a, you know, ice hockey player, extremely um, blunt and forceful, and we got along fine, but we just coexisted, like we were roommates, and that was it. And then she got injured, and then we were spending a lot more time together, and then it became clear 
that the people who I had become friends with in September were not going to, we're not going to get it done. Um, <laughs> and there was a lot of drama around that. And then it's like reading period. And that was always a huge amount of drama. Um, but this, like I started off with many friends. We spent a long time talking. I thought they meant every word they said, but like everyone else, they were stalling just really, um, which by the way is a lyric from the Sinead song, uh, not an, uh, an, a spontaneous utterance from Sarah. No, that was not a spontaneous <laughs> evocation. That was a lyric from feel so different. And I really felt spoken to by that. And I love to like grit it out while it was playing in our room, which was daily at least once. Um, but it's amazing. Like there's this really sort of sophomoric bluntness to the lyrics. Mm -hmm. There is a Circean bathos to the music. It's almost seven minutes of Sinead working through the import of whatever relationship it is that she's talking about, but it doesn't feel that long. And the last minute and a half um, of her just like wailing where it seems like she's putting this emotion out on the curb. Like she just put it in a bag, tied a knot and was like, and now we're done with this. So long. Farewell is really something like, it's really quite a well-constructed song, even though she, like she needed to take 17 things off of it, but she didn't. So it's perfect. With that said, it was still only number nine. <laughs> So that is a mere two points from Buncey. Yeah. Now, I have to say, despite what I'm about to start saying, I love this album. <laughs> I hate this song. <laughs> I feel Fair. like Sinead O'Connor was in her early 20s when she made this album. And much as we discussed with Ms. Natalie Merchant, there are times when one's <laughs> earnestness in youth can cloud one's ability to be uh, to be bearable. Mm -hmm. And when you start a song by reciting <laughs> ability the... to be bearable, <laughs> that was, that was really nicely done. Thank Good you. Work. When, <laughs> when you start a song by reciting the serenity prayer. Yeah. I mean, there is a part of my soul that shuts right the fuck down. I, yeah. I mean, that's obnoxious. <laughs> and there is, um, Augustine Burroughs. I mean, for me, it's obnoxious in the way of like a cousin at this point, but it's still fucking obnoxious. It is. It is obnoxious. And it is such a long song, as you just said. And there is this feeling to me of draft one of a diary entry about it. And it's like, yeah, it's I like see that. she was maybe figuring out how to sing the song in the studio. And, I, you know, she has a song called Troy. That is so fucking crazy. Oh, God, yeah. But that I love. I love the insanity of Troy. This, to me, just feels like, I have a lot of feelings, and I can yelp about them. And I just feel like I can't go with this formless shrieking for all for seven and a half fucking minutes. So I don't know that I had ever heard this song all the way through until I prepared oh. for this episode. It was because I got this song on CD, right? So it was easy to just be like, next. Yeah, sure. And so I don't think I ever made it through until this time. And I think that might have been the, oh, I listened to the whole album twice and then listened to my favorites more than twice. But in prep for this episode, I listened to this song twice all the way through. It's probably it for the rest of my life. Um, mm. Just like the patrons, I put this song in 10th 
place one point. Wow. Okay. I I didn't think I was going to be all by myself in ranking it a glorious number nine. (laughs) Um, But you are going to hear another little snippet of it. Um, As we move on to track number two, I am stretched on your grave because I think one of the things that um, makes both I am stretched on your grave and the album as a whole go for me still is the, uh, some of the transitions between tracks. Yes. So I have like a legit clip from the song, but I also clipped the transition. Oh yeah. Because even if you don't care for or feel so different, which I guess none of us really does, <laughs> which is fine. The conversion into the next story is a, is a keeper. I feel so here is that transition. Faraway violins, drama, drama. Oh. You th- you think you know what's about to happen, but you don't. It's like the I, beat I do kind of love that there is that like um uh, like amateurish first draftiness that you mentioned in the first song, and then it's like, all right, now we're really talking. Yes. Like n- now now it's really on. Um, so let me play the actual clip. From I am stretched on your grave. Um, I probably listened to this track 17 times in a row while I was writing, um, my play, which was a series of, uh, monologues called the famous ghost monologues, because this is such a, um, strong evocation of like folk ways about ghosts. Mm. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. this is a translation of a 17th century Irish, um, poem, I believe. And like the the imagery is kind of all over the place as to what the narrator is in in the setting of this of the grave but it just has this like beautiful ghost story folk tale quality to it her lung power is fucking amazing the chord progressions are amazing um that lightning strike sound of the drum at the end that we just heard yes I mean, you just are, I find more in it every time. I find more ghosts and particularly more women in ghost stories in it every time. Like this time it was La Llorona. Like, where are my children who I've left in the river? I mean, I don't, I just think this song is amazing. With that said, like I could listen to it over and over again and it's still not quite my number one. This album is really hard for me to rank, but I ranked this number two with nine points. Great. Okay, so this is, of course, a song I never skipped. Uh, For one thing, the song 
there's a there's a verse in this song where the narrator, who is a man, I have always assumed, says, um, "Thanks be to Jesus, we did all that was right, and your maidenhead still is your pillar of light," which yes. is like the the narrator is going out every night and laying on the grave of this woman he's loved since he was a child, and he's so grateful that they never fucked before she died, and. The way that Sinead O'Connor sings the phrase, thanks be to Jesus, is so strangled with emotion. And it's incredible to hear. And I have, I just think there's so much dense, furious irony in putting this song yes. in this album, where even in fucking death, it's just like, thank God she never got to enjoy her own body. I think that there is this like level of Sinead O'Connor being pissed about that like well i think there's also i think this is why i'm getting that um top note of la llorona from it and or resurrection mary like the strong implication that i'm getting is that in order to preserve her virtue he fucking killed her yeah see and that's you're right like maybe there was something like i had to kill you to save your honor and you're right the mystery of it is so compelling and because that's a perfectly valid and almost certainly likely interpretation of what's going on, but you yeah. don't quite know. And then the the dark rage of the music is so exciting. Yeah. Those drums, like, like you said. Yeah. It sounds like the, you know, the rainstorm that the Clash talked about, like, you know, washing clean the city. I mean, I guess it was William Burroughs, but I mean, the, something dark. I think she is very good at both textually and subtextually talking about particularly coming from Ireland where um the the ghosts are always walking with you i think yes. more than in some cultures but that most fairy tales and folk stories are extremely dark and you're talking about like the punishment of female sexuality with amputation or shoes that will dance you to death or whatever it is you're talking about that these, these folk ways always seem to have, Hey, female identified person, shut the fuck up or die as the subtext. And she's good at both saying that straight out and using, um, frameworks that imply it very strongly. Another thing that I love about the approach of this song is something that actually comes up quite a bit on this album. The the length of time that she will spend on a simple musical motif, because that violin that comes in at the end, holy shit, it's so exciting. And she yeah. that thing repeats for like a good 90 seconds, that one simple phrase. And there's something about how it forces us to just be patient and endure it. And it goes from simple and exciting to, I can't believe this is still going to, Oh my God, I've like transcended into something else. And yeah, exactly. The length of the first song does not work for me, but the length of the commitment here really does because of the story that she's telling. And there's just this feeling of madness that has, I think come here. That's like the, you're dancing a Tarantella or something at the end. And, and she forces you to confront the musical madness of the song in a way that's fucking thrilling. And it, it, just not every fucking musician would have the nerve to do this. And uh, I just love that she decides, yeah, you know what? 
we're going to go and keep listening to this. Deal with it. And I love it. Yeah. And she does that. Yeah, you're right. She does that a bunch of times on this album. Like this is a mostly really long tracks. Yeah. I, I think but, there's only one song on this album that's less than four minutes. And there are at least four songs that are over five. But the, I think the preoccupation is with like these simple historical stories that we've always told each other about ourselves and each other. Like it's the, it's the repetition of them that, brings them their power so that she's doing that with a musical phrase to underline the concept that these things have power over us and perhaps should not. Yeah. That's, that's just, and that's like, and and you can feel all of that viscerally in a song like this, even if you don't emotionally intellectually think through it. And that's why it's so fucking brilliant. That being said, this is still only my fourth place song and I love it that much. Um, and I'm giving it seven points and the listeners, uh, patrons gave it six points in fifth place. So that's fourth place from me, fifth place from the patrons, second place from Bunsy. Yep. And then just in case you think, you know, what's coming, the next song on this album is yet another fucking curveball. It's three babies, which is a sparse, haunting, beautiful ode to a woman wanting to protect her children and even though the song itself is sparse and beautiful the imagery in the song is very feral uh she's talking about the shape and the smell of her children and and she's like a wild horse in her desire to love them and but she takes all of these feral earthy images and puts them into this soft elegant almost lullaby of a song yeah. And once again, you have these sort of um, these folkloric references to lullabies, to myth, to um, ancient ideas of motherhood. Yeah. That are overlaid with this lyric about um, the judgment visited on um, low income, unhomed people. Yeah. And the phrase still wild, but not lost. Mm is like she should have that as one of the many tattoos on her, like probably on her face. Yeah. Because that's, I think, the Sinead story right there. Um, And I love that you can hear the squeaking of the frets yes. as the guitar is being picked. There's just something um, homemade about that sound that, that weaves in with the um, sort of archetypal... Uh, stories that she's that she's telling or retelling and this means also now that you've got three different modes of musical storytelling in a row you've got the wildly improvised ramble of feel so different the drum and bass and uh darkness of i am stretched on your grave and now you've got this very vulnerable intimate acoustic lullaby of three babies and you know what I feel like most artists don't have three musical vo- uh, musical identities ever. And she's got three in a row on one album. Yeah. Love this. Where'd you rank this one? <laughs> I love this song. And yet still sixth place because they got to go somewhere. And uh, yeah, th- this is, th- this is one of those songs actually that for me proves why this album is very challenging to rank because it's like, this is a masterpiece of a song, but just in my gut, I was like, ah, sixth, five points. 
Well, and it was like, well, is it going ahead of this? No. Yeah, exactly. So it, like it just kept sliding down. I also had it in sixth. Ah, oh, lovely. And then the patrons had it in a tie for eighth place with three points. Now, next we have the song that was Sinead O'Connor's second number one on the alternative rock charts uh, in America. That is The Emperor's New Clothes. And before we talk about it, let's listen to the clip that I called for. Sarah, what are your thoughts on this one? This was definitely the big sing-along track. This was around where the um, vodka shots were starting to take control. <laughs> and this would be the big sing-along in, um, God, what the, f- the fuck was our room number? 322 Butler, I guess. Um, or no, excuse me, 322 1942 Hall, now defunct. Um, well, my freshman hall is also now been raised at emory university the i mean because they're untouchable not because what i said was wrong also the sinead story um that's a great fucking line this i mean from this distance this one this one isn't like this one isn't traveling to me across the years uh as much i think this is her it's hard being famous track and it seems both more earned for her and cheesier compared to the rest of the album. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't love it. Like this would be a skip for me now, possibly. Whoa. Because Whoa. it just does not feel as sincere. <gasps> 10th place. One point. Fuck. Girl, get an ambulance over here to my quarantine house. I just, I'm laid out. Sorry, buddy. I love it. You see, I have to say, I rolled up in here today and I was like, I bet that Sarah and I are going to agree on every motherfucking song on this album. (laughs) And then you came up in here with your little 10th place. I I mean, look, when this clip came in, I was like. Well, shit. Like, I was was trying to keep her out of the basement with this, but I couldn't do it. It's just, look, I don't hate the song, but just compared to the depth and sustain of other tracks, like, I'm not going to run out of the room if it's on, but you got to put it somewhere. And this one, that's where I put it. I I mean, I need a cold compress. I need a good bite of potato salad. I, um... (laughs) You need some toast. I need some toast and a fish stick. 
listen, I honor you. I I am shocked that there is a world in which you would choose to listen to feel so different before you would choose to listen to the emperor's. I mean, I'm not running into the arms of either of them. (laughs) If that helps. Okay. So for a counterpoint, there's my feeling about this song. Um, I love this song almost beyond language, partially because I think that the section I just clipped, uh, they laugh because they know they're untouchable and not because what I said was wrong. Whatever it may bring, I will live by my own policies. I will sleep with a clear conscience. I will sleep in peace. And through their own words, they will be exposed. They've got a severe case of the emperor's new clothes. That is my fucking one of my all-time fucking favorite lyrical runs in all of popular music. And I'm not even kidding. It is so pointed and specific and it is the sound of actual rebellion in music it is the sound of someone who has clocked hypocrisy so well that she doesn't even need fancy words to tell you how fucked up you are she needs everyday words put into a magical order i have never once heard that run of lines and not felt the chill of righteous indignation proving that art wins when faced with hypocrisy and i feel like the way that i feel about the song not ready to make nice by the dixie chicks which we talked about in 1923 um 500 episodes ago that this is a moment of an artist using the full force of her power to blow away the motherfuckers who are trying to come for her and i also love that in this song she is able to draw a line between her resistance to these larger forces in the culture that are trying to oppress her and her own inability to stop punishing and oppressing her husband who in the first verse of the song holds the baby while she fucking wrecks the room and she is able i think to lacerate her own behavior with the same venom and force that she uses to lacerate the culture and then draw a line between the two and say yeah the culture is one of the reasons i fucking act like this i wasn't old enough to handle it but i still acknowledge I'm the one that wrecked the bedroom. And so then by the end, when she's talking about the emperor's new clothes, I feel like she's also letting us say, but I'm wearing them too. And she then lets us have like a minute of that really good electric guitar riff with no vocal to just sort of ruminate in that. And I fucking love it. I'm actually getting like really emotionally excited just talking about it right now. And yet for all of that, Sarah, this is still only my second place song. Not <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i mean here's the thing like i think what a lot of it boils down to me what it boils down to for me is that orally it it's like the the sort of cheapness it sounds like very 90s musically to me in a way that i think does not match up as well as she usually matches up to the lyrics which i agree are hall of fame but it's like dan 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 like okay. Can we can we get to black boys on mopeds? Because <laughs> but you know I what? got some I got some shit on that one. I will say um, the um, the patrons also put this song in second place. So uh, the cheese stands alone in that you are the cheese. But cheese is delicious, and I eat cheese every day. So I mean, <laughs> the cheese is fine with that. <laughs> the stinky cheese Woo! will live with it. So next we come to a song about which I have many complicated feelings. 
And I did pull a clip of this song. This is, as you mentioned, Black Boys on Mopeds. Young mother down at Smithfield. 5 a.m. looking for food for her kids. In her arms she holds three cold babies. And the first word that they learned was please. These are dangerous days. So we'll march day and night by the big cooling tower. They have the plans, but we have the power. Okay. <laughs> That's just, I always think of Lisa Simpson uh, singing in front of the power plant when I hear the song. <laughs> oh, God. That's not good. No, but it's, I actually also really love this song. So it's complex. But uh, Sarah, what are your thoughts? Um, I adore this song. She sounds so exhausted. And I think that, um, I mean, I I think that there are some, I mean, I don't think there are some problems with her, um, choosing to situate this in a, in a racial place maybe, but I mean, the first word that they learned was please. Like it's mm. simultaneously very, um, like it's a very young line, but the way it's delivered is so like sugar free and perfect. Mm-hmm. I can sing this through with every breath and trill. Like I know it that well. It's like engraved on my bones. Um, it's it's still not my number one song somehow, um, but this is the idea that this is a an elegy to what you as a child think of as your home Ooh, and yes. places that are safe. Um, I find listening to it, I f- find it very emotional even right now, on her, like on her behalf somehow that you're you're witnessing and this happens several times on this album that you're witnessing someone someone's like emotional digestion of a situation that is giving them problems like the the clearing of a bone in the in the throat of the soul gross phrasing but i mean the, i just think the song is so beautiful and sad and i have such compassion for it in all its ways and days so it's my number 3 8 points oh. Very good. So this is one that changed for me a lot uh, upon new reflection. I agree with you that her singing on this song 
it's otherworldly. I, I don't know yeah. how you could have it. Like, this song almost perhaps more than any other song on the album, except the one that is my number one, but we'll get to that. This song demonstrates what she can do as a singer to rip the fucking soul out of your body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like she evokes not only the pain of the characters in this song, but her pain in thinking about these characters in a way that's just astonishing to me. And you're so right too that, you know, this is like, um, it's the moment of losing your, um, innocence, but there's also something heartbreaking about the fact that she then says in the refrain that she loves her boy. And that's why she's leaving this place because she doesn't want him to be aware that there's any such thing as grieving. And so she's still naive, you know, like, yeah, honey, He's going to learn too, but there's just like this, this sort of tragic balance between a young person awakening to their own grief, but still being naive enough to think they can shield someone else from that. Yeah. That it's like, wherever you go, their life is. And then the fact that she was like leaving London to go to Ireland. (laughs) I know. Okay. um, (laughs) Uh, May we suggest Canada? Um, yeah, seriously, maybe in the Yukon territory. Yeah. The thing that has now made me cool on this song a bit, although it's just a little bit, I mean, this is only in the sense of ranking this album for this episode, because I would never not listen to this song. I pulled a clip from the song because I love it, but I just feel like because she is trying to do so much, she's getting at so many things in the song. It loses a little bit of its force for me. And she weaves together, I think, lyrically in The Emperor's New Clothes, the disparate subjects really well. But here it's more just like a laundry list. Margaret Thatcher is a hypocrite because she's shocked by Tiananmen Square, but she does the same shit. Um, uh, Black boys on mopeds are killed indiscriminately by the police. Sadly, a statement that will never not be relevant, it seems. Yeah. Um, There's homeless people down at Smithfield Market that are trying to get um, money. And then she makes a reference to Jesus. Like if you are of the world, they will love you, but you're not. So they will persecute you. So it's like, I I think that she's got a bit of uh, overreach in what she's trying to accomplish here, but there is still something for me. I mean, I'm just, again, it's like, why do, why does this one not leap up the list for me? And that's the reason I think she's got a bit of overreach. However, she is able to pull it all together with this incredible vocal performance and sense of weariness and uh, overlay that with the sense of tragedy. It's still a wonderful song. So I put it in fifth place, sixth points. I mean, still like a very respectable fifth. I'm not trying to you know, yeah. be mad. Like I would say there are th- my top six songs on this album are, I think songs that I would consider to be among the m- best songs of the nineties and this is number five. So, you know, great. But uh, that's right. Yeah, I, I think my top, that's like my top eight. And frankly, Emperor's New Clothes also is suffering to this day from being overplayed in my life 30 years ago. So, right. <laughs> you know, shit happens. It happens. We can only be where we are today. The patrons liked this more than me, but less than you and put it in fourth place, which means that it gets seven points. Okay. And I should probably try to do the math correctly when I add up those points. Now we get to the song <laughs> that 
neither one of us decided like the way that we work out these ranking episodes is that we pick a number of songs that we want to clip individually. And there's typically one song that we decide gets an automatic clip without either one of us having to choose. And that was, of course, on this album, nothing compares to you. The song that was number one for four weeks in the spring of 1990 that made Sinead O'Connor famous. The song that is the reason we're talking about this album now, quite frankly, because if it hadn't been for this song, this album wouldn't have reached the level that it reached. Um, it's uh, striking that the song that Sinead O'Connor is most known for was not written by Sinead O'Connor. It was written by Prince, as I just said, but that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Without further ado, here's a clip from Nothing Compares to You. Sarah, we have talked before um, about songs that we know so well and have heard so much that it's almost hard to hear them. And I, that's where I am at with this song. I think I've maybe heard this 500 times. And uh, yeah. I can never again not know this song and therefore be surprised by its emotional complexity and rawness the way that I was 30 years ago. So like this song has transcended it, my ability to critique it almost. But here's one thing I will say. I have heard the version of the song that Prince himself recorded with Rosie Gaines. Sinead O'Connor's version is better. I, I, I will, yeah. I will brook no argument that, pr- that Prince's I version think is better. even Prince said that. So yeah. <laughs> um, but where, where, where do you stand on this particular song? This is one that this was the auto skip 30 years ago mm. because I, it was just like, Oh, we get it. But I didn't back then. Um, I wouldn't have ranked it this, and I didn't even rank it that highly with the understanding, again, the, you know, with the exception of the last two songs on this album, I, I do love all, and I love all of them like relatives, but, you know, sometimes you don't like your relatives that much. This was overplayed in the world at the time, but also I had not lived through the heartbreak where you have cried so much that you can't taste anything mm. <laughs> that like you cried um, yourself to a symptom of the coronavirus. Yes. Um, several symptoms actually. Um, and I think you need a little more time in the field of feeling like shit to understand how soulful and wild yet, um, laser precise this interpretation of the song is, um, that even in this moment where, first of all, I don't think there's anyone in pop who's quite as good at living on the point of rage melting into hysterical sobbing as Ms. O'Connor. Oh my God, that's one of the most quotable things you've ever said on this show, <laughs> because you're exactly right. She is getting her, she's fully getting her mail at that address. Um, 
that she's being mansplained to and she is trying to be mad about it, but instead she's just like, I, I have now been stepped on and I am flat. Someone peel me off the sidewalk. The And the backing vocal in this song, I never noticed it before because I never had to listen to it the way we the way we masked ass things <laughs> um, before, but like the backing vocal is like with her, but it's not helping her. It's, it's not actually backing. <laughs> it's just also present. Like it, it, it's good. It works, but there's, there's a quality of it. That's like, well, we'll stand nearby, but we're not going to help you up off the ground where you have collapsed because you drank a whole bottle of Chardonnay and now you can't remember the number that you erased from your phone, and it's a whole scene <laughs> outside of Marie's crisis. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, this song is one that it was like this has nothing to tell me back then, but now like it had everything to tell me the whole time. I just wasn't at that. I wasn't able to meet it where it was. With all of this blowing of gold up its culo, and with respect to the late Mr. Rogers Nelson, it's still only in seventh place. Oh my God. Yes, Queen. Come, but I mean, going me. into this, I, I was like, oh, that'll be last. Huh. Interesting. Nope. So for me, um, it's also impossible for me to think of this song without thinking of the music video, which is indelible. Yes. Just, you know, yes. and for those of you who don't remember or perhaps weren't alive when this music video arrived, it was a seismic effect that it had on people who cared about such things. Because whereas this was uh, a time when music videos were really getting into quick cuts, smash cuts, lots of hyper, um, like frenetic motion. This song arrives and most of the video is just a tight close-up of Sinead O'Connor's face, not her body, just her face, bald head, looking directly into the camera and weeping because she's feeling the power of the song so deeply. And she just cries on camera. And other videos have since actually knocked this concept off, but Sinead has done it the best. The fact that she didn't even write the song makes it even more incredible. And the look on her face in the video when she says, well, he's a fool. Girl, girl, you know you better try to have fun no matter what you do. Well, he's a fool. She's feeling every feeling. And it's yes. incredible. Like she digs so deep into the, the specific reality of this song. And she makes those details of the storytelling feel so real. Like she is picturing the doctor with his cigarette breath and his hairy forearms <laughs> telling her this patronizing uh-huh. shit. And she is thinking about him, but she hates him. And then like you said, she can't get that mad because she's also crushed. And um, yeah. it's just like, it's incredible what she does with this song that she didn't write because she makes it feel like she's the only possible person who could tell this story. And that way that she says in the last verse, all the flowers that we planted mama in the backyard, that mama is just so like plaintive and childlike. Ah, so I was like so many people, the found my entry point into Sinead O'Connor's music through this song. I was too young to have heard Mandinka or Troy or I want no. your hands on me uh, in the late 80s. So I love this song. I will always love this song. I can't not know it. Um, it is my third place song. I put it 
Well, I put it in third place and it gave it eight points. And the listeners, right. I think, very understandably put it in first. And that means it gets yep. 10 points from them. Okay. Now, we're not going to have it. We've got one more clip coming, but it's we got a couple more songs before that. Um, next is the song Jump in the River. For me, Sarah, this is the song on this album that is the most tied to the sound of early 90s alternative. Um, yeah. It, it There's just something – it feels like the least honest song. I know that's how you felt about Emperor's New Clothes. But for me, Jump in the River, perfectly fine song. But it feels like a cast-off that would have been like the 11th song on the singles soundtrack – it, it just feels trapped in the time of uh, knockoffs of Susie and the Banshees to me. I, I had that in my notes. Also, the primitives. Uh-huh. Um, this was one of two tracks, the other one we'll be talking about in a sec, um, that really jumped surprisingly high up the rankings because of how and when I was revisiting them. But mm. I kind of enjoyed, like, I think that both of our takes on this are valid. Your feeling is that this is not honest and that this is like a little too, like, stuck in another time or right. idea of how to market her. And I think that's probably accurate. My feeling um, is that there is a dispassionate delivery to this song that really suits it. Um, I like the build of the harmonics in the background, um, but this like medicated testimonial quality Mm. it has Mm -hmm. to me, which goes against the punky energy of the song or of the guitar line is really interesting to me, especially from her because this, um, not withdrawn, but like removed or sort of safely sedated um, the lyrical delivery is not what I would call on brand, but I I think it's um, I think it's purposeful here and it really worked for me. So I put this number fifth. Oh, fifth. All right. I put this in five. <laughs> Jesus. So that's also I've lost the ability to use words. I put this in number yellow. I mean, I put it in eighth place and gave it mm. three points, but I totally hear what you're saying. And That's where I expected it to go, but weird shit happens in a ranking episode, sure, I'm telling you. It sure enough does. So this is uh, – that's three points for me in eighth place. The patrons put it in sixth place, which gives it five points, and you put it in fifth place, which gives it six points. Okay. Um, next we come to a song that I cannot believe I used to put on mixtapes because the song is called You Cause As Much Sorrow. Oh, what a yeah that is i mean i think it's slightly less off-putting to put on a mixtape than jump in the river which (laughs) contains a line about doing it so hard that there's blood on the wall like hmm. (laughs) oh a mixtape from your friend mark what's this song about (laughs) nothing (laughs) toast (laughs) Uh, toast so you cause as much sorrow is in seventh place for me with four points and it is a it's a good song. It's a song that only Sinead O'Connor, I feel like, would record an upbeat song with a sha la 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 backing vocal that includes the line, "You cause as much sorrow dead as you did when you were alive." Yeah, why must you always be around? <laughs> why <laughs> like, won't you? Just why are me? you? <laughs> yeah. So this one, this one has also just like it's fine. 
I wouldn't skip this song. It's pleasant, but it just doesn't grab me as much. So that's why I put it in seventh place. Um, we were inverse. We inversed each other. I put <laughs> it in fourth. Whoa. Seven points. I absolutely remember skipping over this to get to the last day of our acquaintance. And I forgive myself for that. You'll understand why in about five minutes. But like this, I get why I always skipped it because I was impatient. But I think it's a very effective build to the chorus. This The sing-along bitchiness of this is relatively uncomplicated for her. And like nestling it, like putting this track right here in the album is really smart. I think that is true. Sonically, we need the sound of this song here in the sequence of this album. We need a song that has a bit of a lightness to it and a sha-la-la backing vocal. Yeah, we we need to not be sitting through a seminar of like um, sung folkways of 17th century Ireland and feminism that is three hours long and you stupidly took the um, one that met after lunch and you're really struggling. <laughs> like, let's just, whew, let's just have a like garden variety pop kiss off, like soft. Yes. Tender and sweet. Like, I, I think she really does a good job with storytelling that is not that complicated. And um, I just continue to love, why must you always be around? (laughs) Like, why are you haunting me? I hated you alive. Now I hate you even more. Fuck off. Um, So, and you had it in fourth. The patrons had it in a tie for eighth and I had it in seventh. Okay. Well, this brings us to the last song that we have a clip for. It is the ninth song on the album. The last day of our acquaintance. Um, For those of you who don't know the song, she is talking about the last day of her marriage, basically. it's They're in the lawyer's office signing the divorce papers. There is an earlier yeah. episode of this show where you, Sarah, talk about the music video that you imagined for this song. Yeah. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, this is co-imagined by me and my um, one of my college roommates, uh, Estelle, that there's just, like, it's just very quiet and, like, you have some flashbacks to their happier times. And then um, it it varied. Sometimes it was like one last hate fuck, like in the, at the, you know, climactic moment, they like sweep everything off the um, solicitor's desk and start doing it before the solicitor comes in with the papers. In another version, she's like, you know what? Who fucking cares what this guy thinks? Sweeps everything off the solicitor's desk and starts fucking the solicitor in front of her husband. Yeah. There are many stories. So many. Yeah. Well, um, talk about a build, too. This song, you have to actually bl- crank up the volume to even hear the first yeah. minute of this song. Like It's recorded so low. It's mixed so low that you barely even know that the song has started if you don't turn up the volume. Yeah. And then it builds and builds and builds. It gets louder and louder and louder until it crashes into the end. And uh, I think it's probably time to stop talking for a minute and hear the clip. Indeed. Here it is.
Uh, my notes in all caps get messy girl do it for us all (laughs) i mean let's just talk about though first of all there's a line you used to hold my hand when the plane took off uh, that is an absolute diamond like there is a novel in there like you used to hold my hand when the plane took off it tells you so much about every like them who they are as individuals what they were like together god yeah yeah not that it's used to so there's that um there's the like unbelievably flawlessly controlled tick 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 boom of this song musically yep think about the patience and control that it takes to tell this story in this way that yes. you're taking the hand of the humiliated grief that you feel and gently leading it to you know what fuck this in like three and a half minutes yeah I mean, how long is the song it's not that long it's and there's that final chord sustain and you know you know who else does this in a in a way is the William Tell Overture. Ooh, yeah. Do, 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 do. Burr, da, 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 da. Like, that, it's, it's not an easy turn to make. And he, like Rossini, takes 11 minutes to do it. She does it in a third of the time. Yeah. Um, this is a fucking amazing song that, like, it, it's just uh, wonderful to watch every single time. Well, watch, but, like, to hear this character being like t- getting to this point that you and I, Mark, have talked about many times uh, off mic, but a couple of times on, that it's like, if nobody cares and you can't do anything right, that's actually freeing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, you you already incorrectly have decided that I'm not worth your attention and a piece of shit. Then I'm literally going to burn down the solicitor's office <laughs> and everyone in it. Yes. While getting some D that is not you. Bye. Um, spoiler. This is my number one song, possibly of the whole decade. <laughs> Dead points. Yeah. I love it so much. It's so good. Well, I'll just spare you the suspense. It's also my number one song. Yay! There was no fucking doubt. There was like so the one song that I knew exactly where it would be ranked was this song. Yes. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. You know, you picked the perfect clip too, because the fucking anger of that acoustic guitar playing right before the yeah. drums come in, like it it changes everything about the song because that guitar has been getting strummed. And at this point, she is coming back and she's just repeating the chorus. And so it's almost like, okay, I know what's coming. No, you fucking don't, because now yeah. out of nowhere, it's like bah! and then the fact that she then spends the last section of the song singing the chorus again, but then after every line, she just wails like, oh, ho, ho. She's, she's so overcome with all of the emotion that she's lost language to an extent. Yeah. It's just fucking awesome. And you're so right to think about the patience that it takes to go from being so quiet you can barely hear her to losing her shit at the end. And – it, and, and that definitive quality with which the song ends, it is not a fade out. It is a now we are done because there's also the feeling yeah. of like, I've now cried my way out of this. Bye, boo. Like we fucking done. Get the fuck out, boo boo. And I, I just, 
There yeah, the last scene of that video would be him, would be like the husband or the now ex-husband sort of backing out of the room while they're doing it on the desk and then the office door slams on yes. the last cord. But like, it is amazing. There is a moment where she's like, you know, I know your answer already. Like, I'll talk, but you won't listen to me, which she's sad about. And then she's like, wait, that's fucking annoying. That she's like, I know your answer already. And like, hey. That sucks. And then you can hear her deciding, like, I don't actually have to be at the effect of this. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I am allowed to be furious because he already, he like, we're already done here. So there's no harm in just being the column of volcanic rage that I actually am. And then, boom, and you wanna, there goes Mount O'Connor. <laughs> it's great. And you want to talk about a fucking masterclass. I hate using that cliche, but... Listen oh. to the different ways that she sings the line, I will meet you later in somebody's office over the course of this song. Like, yeah, she's so angry about it by the end. She's like, well, fuck you then. You know what? And the, you're right. And like the whole chorus, like, I'll talk, but you won't listen to me. She moves from grief to fury. And, and, and she's not the same person at the end of the song that she was at the beginning. No. And uh, they're just... There just aren't that many artists in the world who can sing character this clearly. And yeah. uh, and then to also have found the perfect musical underpinning for that rage. God damn, I love this song, Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> same. It is like, it is never the last day of my acquaintance with this song. I listen to it. I listen to it again to pull a clip. And then I listen to it another four times. I'm sure my husband is so sick of it. I don't care. If I have to pick between him and this song, he could pack a bag. Well, I know I talk a lot about my shower rotation. This song has been in it for a long time. I sing this song in the shower a lot. It's just so good. It is. So that's, and the, the patrons put it in uh, third place. So it made. Okay. Yep. It, well, <laughs> it made the podium for all of us. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Fucking A. Uh, and that leaves us with our final song, the title track, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, which in my heart, the last day of our acquaintance is the final song. Yeah, kind of. I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got is a sing songy seven minute song where she just tries to convince herself that she's okay. And it's just like an unfortunate bookend to feel so different. And it just is not a song I care about literally at all. I don't think it ha it's so lacking in dynamism vocally and musically. It is just the same little sing songy shit over and over and over again. It's like the antithesis of the previous song. Ninth place, two points. I, think i had never listened to the whole thing because this used to be like well that's like you know this is going to be a while let's pick out something else to put on and then let's put on the belly album because basic um <laughs> feed that tree girl i have to respect the choice to bury the title track at the end and to make it this like acapella weird dream state um like est session <laughs> um and the more I thought about it, because it goes on a while and you have time to think a whole lot of thoughts about it, uh, the more I respected that we needed this like cool down, like corpse pose moment <laughs> after an extremely challenging um, series of sun salutations <laughs> with the last day of our acquaintance. So 
I respect it while simultaneously having not a ton of use for it. Um, but as the song goes on, I respect it's um, him like uh, ability to pull you in with its like continued existence. Like there's some weird sustained pedal echoing happening. There's bizarre pronunciations. Like the way she says the word journey is a journey. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a lot of diacritical marks in there that I don't, I'm like, are we in Norway? What is happening? Um, and nay, they blow bird. I mean, I don't, it's not good exactly, <laughs> but you know, like that cousin of mine that we're pretty sure got dropped on her head a bunch of times. She's not good either. But we love her. So this is eighth for me. <laughs> Three points. <laughs> Sorry, cousin Rose. Or whatever her name is. Oh. Oh, so that brings us now to our final, final rankings. Um, some interesting surprises. What, so what do we not want in I do not want? Well, we we don't, we might want to, we feel, we don't want to feel so different anymore. We uh, put that song in 10th place. Me, you, and the patrons <laughs> combined only gave it four points. Um, in ninth place with seven points, I do not want what I haven't got. And if we haven't got this song, we'll be fine. Um, then we move up to eighth place. Now, seventh, seven points for I do not want what I haven't got. I'll leap all the way up to 13 points in eighth place for three babies. Okay. Then I'm choosing to uh, – we've got a tie. I'm choosing to not say it's a tie for seventh. It's a tie for sixth. Um so that's 14 points each for Jump in the River and You Cause As Much Sorrow. Those songs okay. fill the same basic place in my life, so fine. I think so. Uh, then in fifth place, despite my passion, uh, you are, in fact, the reason that this happened, and that is fine. But fifth place is The Emperor's <laughs> New Clothes with 19 yeah. points. But you know what? That's right, because your vote counts, damn it, and you have to express yourself. In f- I do. I think this is a surprise to see that uh, Black Boys on Mopeds is in fourth place with 21 points. I think I that's a nice surprise. I see it, though. Yeah. yeah, I'm into it. And then we could have said it was a tie for third, but I'm going to say it's a tie for second with 22 points. Both Nothing Compares to You and I Am Stretched on Your Grave. Yes. So I feel like it's good that I Am Stretched on Your Grave made the podium for us because that's a really good, weird, representative song of what this album is about. Yes, agree. And um, that's the true first song, I would say. Yes. At least, you know, certainly for you, but yeah. It is it, it's it's like the album really gets going when we hear that drum beat. Yeah. And then so that's 22 points in a tie per second and then with 28 points in a clear first place, the last the day of our acquaintance. Yes, <laughs> of exactly. our acquaintance. So that's um I think like you said, that's really just one of the best songs of the 90s. It is certainly the best song on this album. Uh but Scott, Sarah, what a treat. It, even though this album is sad as fuck, I don't feel sad that I get to talk to you about it. No, I don't either. And I hadn't listened to it in a while. And it really brought me back to this, um, like, not wonderful time, but like to return to this time, especially via this music that I think like I loved it, but I, it hadn't even begun to love me back. Right. Yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it now I am snuggled in its <laughs> in its embrace. In its boozle. not in a not in somebody's office. We're just hanging out. <laughs> oh, although you are probably recording this in your office. I am. Oh, there are no accidents. I am. No. 
Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.